I was just thinking about all of the steps that we do go through to do with the big gender bending that had nothing to do with anyone's rights, regardless of those who think they won them. The gender bending idea came out in the 1700s and the 1800s through the revolutionary type parties, well documented because they, they looked at all conflicts in the world, these particular people, and they thought that they also have to end the male and female problem. And they had big debates about Adam and Eve. They actually used Adam and Eve as a prototype of, of the gender problem. And they said the only unification that could be of, of peace and happiness would be literal unification in a sort of hermaphroditic type figure. And you'll find that if you go into the, the, the histories of the revolutionary parties, which were all Freemasonic. They all had their Freemasonic lodges where they met and discussed these particular problems. And the most radical of them did promote this kind of hermaphroditic type of society, uh, and, and especially the radical feminist ones that they had in the 1800s, the St. Simons, for instance, check into their histories, and you'll find that they wanted to create uh, a female goddess, in fact, that could reproduce without the aid of males. They even went so far as to set up uh, uh, an organization that set parties off into India looking to try to find the ultimate perfect female who would be the prototype. Which brings me to this item that's in a surrealistic newspaper, tabloid fashion. And it's from, it's from the, uh, I think it's from the, let's see now, there's so much junk on their, on their site. The Daily Mail. The Daily Mail is, is, um, is wonderful for junk type stuff. The SAS used to use it when they're doing raids in Britain because the Daily Mail is associated with uh, government propaganda, as most of them are, of course, under the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And this one here was from the 31st January today, 2008. And the headline is, Death of the Father. What a surprise, eh? British scientists discover how to turn women's bone marrow into sperm. This is about the fourth or fifth article I've read over the last few weeks on this as they gradually uh, get it through our heads through a, a form of osmosis and repetition. This is by Fiona McRae. And it says, it's got a guy feeding a baby, of course, because it's politically correct. And it says, um, the new science means the biological role of the father is under threat. British scientists are ready to turn female bone marrow into sperm, cutting men out of the process of creating life. The breakthrough paves the way for lesbian couples to have children that are biologically their own. And this is meant to upset certain segments of society. And it probably will, all segments of society, because they don't give a darn about lesbians or anybody else for that matter. There's nothing to do with that. They always use excuses because it's a brave new world the sort of brave new world they're talking about here, that Huxley knew was coming in the 1930s. They were so far ahead then. And it continues, gay men could follow suit by using the technique to make eggs for, from male bone marrow. So they're, they're trying to give you the quality stuff here. Researchers at Newcastle-upon-Tyne University say their technique will help lead to new treatments for infertility. Now, 
once again, the big battle cry for 100 years has been, well, actually since the 1700s in Malthus, has been, well, there's too many commoners. But God, and if we help them, help them to extend their lives through medical treatment, there'll be too many of them. So here they are again trying to tell you it's going to, it's going to help infertile couples like they care, right? They really care about infertile couples. People are becoming infertile because they've been under attack through the sciences, by the sciences, the very sciences that pretend to help them. And it works so well, even the doctors and nurses don't know what they're really injecting into people. It's all based on faith. And it's all done by plan. And it goes on to say here, critics warn that its sidelines mean or sidelines men and raises the prospect of babies being born through entirely artificial means. The research centers around stem cells, the body's so-called mother cells, which can turn any type uh, of cell into any other type of cell. According to New Scientist magazine, the scientists want to take stem cells from a woman's donor, a woman donor, or from her bone marrow and transform them into sperm through the use of special chemicals and vitamins. Interesting, eh? special chemicals and vitamins, so they know what to do. Newcastle professor Karim Nayernia has applied for permission to carry out the work and is ready to start the experiments within two months. Now, now two months, now this tells you too that there's big, big funding behind this because these characters, these little scientists live on grants. That's how they make their living. And nothing happens in society unless it's okayed by the ones at the top, believe you me. So, he goes on to say, the, biolog the biologist who pioneered, the, well, pioneered this technique with mice believes early stage female sperm could be produced inside two years. Mature sperm capable of fertilizing eggs might take three more years. Early stage sperm have already been produced from male bone marrow. Taking stem cells from an adult donor, possibly a cancer patient, removes the ethical problems associated with using embryos. So they're trying to rationalize and justify it there. Then goes on to say, the race to find a cure for infertility is global. Now, what a joke, eh? Again, it's the mandate to bring down the population. And here's your Hegelian technique again being used that they're trying to help infertile people because it's a global problem nowadays Greg Aharonian I don't know who he is a US analyst who is trying to patent the technologies behind female sperm and male eggs said he wants to undermine the argument that heterosexual marriage is superior because it is aimed at procreation I'm a troublemaker he said he's just a little psychopath that gets paid for doing what he's doing researchers at the Butantan Institute in Brazil, meanwhile, claimed to have turned embryonic stem cells from male mice into both sperm and eggs. They are now working on skin cells. If their experiments succeed, the stage would be set for a gay man to donate skin cells that could be used to make eggs. These could then be fertilized by his partner's sperm and placed into the womb of a surrogate mother. No, they won't because they'll make a new type just like the Brave New World scenario will end up being grown in artificial rooms, which they already have. Arena Kerkis, a researcher of the Brazilian Center, said this development is possible but raises ethical questions. 
laboratory-grown sperm and eggs offer hope for those left infertile by radiotherapy treatment when they were young. Experiments could also provide invaluable insight into dealing with infertility, a little understood condition, haha, that affects one in six couples. What a joke. What a joke. But we've been dropping with fertility since 1950, dropping like a stone, and that's because it was done by design. Other scientists warn, however, that the research is still in its infancy, and any treatment is still many years away from its use in hospitals and clinics. There are also fears that children born from artificial eggs and sperm will suffer severe health problems like the mice in the Newcastle experiments. Couples who have children from artificial sperm created from women would be able to have girls only. because This is because the female sperm would lack the Y chromosome needed for boys. Robin Lovell Badge of the National Institute for Medical Research in London said the creation of female sperm is at least a decade away. Josephine Quintabal of Comment on Reproductive Ethics is an organization comment on reproductive ethics. A campaign group said, we are looking at absurd solutions to very obscure situations and not addressing the main issue. Nobody is interested in looking at what is causing infertility and then she goes on, see, you have front groups too that pretend to speak for the public because here's, here's what she says to this. This is one who is supposed to be protecting the public. Social reasons such as obesity, smoking, and age, that's what she's given down as the problems to infertility. People are becoming infertile in their 20s and 30s who don't smoke, who are not overweight. The UN publishes that Every year, the sperm count in the male of the West, the Western world, is down by 75% of it was in 1950. So that always give you your, your groups, your pros and cons. All these things would provide solutions which wouldn't grab the headlines, but a lot more people would get the response they want, which is to be able to have their own children. Mike Judge of the Christian Institute Faith Group said the Newcastle Project flies in the face of research showing that children do best when raised by a married mixed-sex couple. Children need male and female role models in their lives, he added. Yes, there are children raised by single parents through all sorts of circumstances, but when you're talking about deliberately creating children that way, that is morally wrong. Then Deborah Matthews, a U.S. bioethicist. Now, bioethics uh, is a new term, fairly new term, before that, found that with, uh, when Dolly the sheep was presented to the public. Now, Dolly's a, an old, old cult term for a carrier of genes. Franklin used it, Benjamin Franklin, when he was admitted to, uh, into a, a higher circle with a hellfire club where he could actually breed with specific well-born, high-born females. They call these particular females Dollies, and that's why they use a little joke with Dolly the sheep. And since there are three levels of science... Uh, from professorship down, that's the lowest form. You know that everything we've done has been perfected at much higher levels and done long, a long time ago. I've no doubt about that. So this bioethist, which is now a new name for eugenics, you see, same thing. People want children and no one wants anyone else to tell them they can't have them. An update of Britain's aging fertility laws is going through Parliament and it's likely to allow the use of artificial sperm and eggs and IVF treatment only for heterosexual couples. Well, that lasts about a week. The Newcastle research also paves the way for a woman to grow her own sperm 
and use it to fertilize her natural eggs, creating a child which is both mother and father. I'll be back with more of this after the following messages. I'm Ron Paul, and you're listening to We the People Radio Network. Hi. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix talking about the, the brave new world that's being created while we all enjoy ourselves and play and become bemused into the great internet there, you know, the, the thing that everyone's hooked on, which has a, a finite existence because it's only meant to take us all the way to literally a brain chip and a virtual world where we'll be just a bunch of Borgs where the league can do with us as they wish. What a wonderful goal to have. But unfortunately, it seems to be the goal of most people today who don't want to communicate to real people or interact with real people. It's just not fun enough. Again, back to the story. I'm talking about this uh, the new stem cell research where they can turn a female bone marrow into male sperm, basically, and then impregnate the mother, if, if need be, the bachelor, the donor, if need be. And this last little part is very telling, uh, because it says here, the Newcastle research paves the way for a woman to grow her own sperm and use it to fertilize her natural eggs, creating a child which she is both mother and father. And that smacks of the old, old ego, doesn't it, of the, the old Eden story, where Eve wanted to have it all, and be as God. Quite an interesting phenomena. Sure, say similarly, a man can be both father and mother to a child created with his own sperm and a lab-grown egg. Such children would be at high risk of genetic abnormality. Well, that's only at the bottom level because, as I say, uh, this research is called research because the searching was done at a much higher level a long time ago. That's why they could write such amazing stories like Brave New World. And that's why Huxley uh, was a member of the Futurist Society, and he knew all the top professors involved in these very covert operations that were going on, and he worked at Tavistock Institute, and his whole family lineage worked on the similar um, techniques of, of breaking down what makes a human human, how to rebuild humanity. You'll find that even in... Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, they didn't get these ideas out of nowhere. The ones near the top who were let in on the know, especially the propagandists, who were meant to put stories out and familiarize us with ideas that were to come, uh, they, they knew that the whole project was to create perfect humans, but really perfect slaves. And that's what the whole Frankenstein story was about. 
they tried to create what they called a superman but a superman really there would be a, still be a servant to his creator his human creator and that's where we are in the world today of the so-called research into a brave new world where they're going to obviously get rid of all those with defective genes and that might mean that you're simply prone to certain allergies or asthma or whatever and I knew that even when I was small when they started talking about genetic research that was to come I said well how on earth could they help the sick it obviously is meant to detect those with what they call faulty genes uh, in the womb and simply get rid of them that's the only way you could get rid of them is to stop them from being born and sure enough that's what eugenics is all about they want a healthy herd and make no mistakes about it make no bones about it we are the herd as far as the elite are concerned and this elite is a global elite always has been global they have run over countries they rule over countries they're often accepted as being the elite of any particular country but really they don't marry into the commoners that they rule over and that's the history of royalty done through the eons they intermarry each other and they have psychopathic natures that's a trait that kings and rulers were bred to have they, they don't want rulers who have too much kindness in them who are easygoing they want people who can be very ruthless but they also want rulers that can be easy managed by even better, more intelligent priesthoods. And that, that's also the, 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 the history you'll find out if you go into the old books of kings and queens. They often were not the brightest of people, but psychopaths generally aren't. They're just simply naturally, innately cunning. They can sum up a situation and see the way around it or through it or past it to save themselves or to at least benefit themselves from any situation and it's interesting that Mr. Hart after 9-11 immediately after it when he addressed the Council on Foreign Relations he said something that the Royal Institute for International Affairs and CFR commonly say he said we can use this disaster of the towers coming down and we can use this he said and so a psychopath would see something as an opportunity. Every disaster is an opportunity. We can use this to further what Mr. Bo the, president, uh, the President's father mentioned as a new world order, to push a new world order. So they utilize everything that happens for their own agenda and to their own benefit. We're living in a world that is planned the way it is. And never mind all the incredible hype that's out there about greening and carbon dioxide and how we're all breathing too much and we're all using too much energy. We're using exactly the systems which the big fascist corporations have trained us to use with oil and electricity and all the rest of it. And yet these same fascist organizations are funding the Greens who are now bashing us all for using it quite interesting Hegelian technique of controlling us and most folk never really catch on to it they're simply punch drunk between left and right or up and down now I think we have a caller on the line is it Rick 
yes. Hello? Hello, yeah. Where are you from, Rick? Uh, I'm from California. Okay. Yeah. Yes, uh, I've called you before. Um, I, I have a question. Uh, actually, um, I need your help on something. Um, I, I discovered something that re- it's really bizarre. And um, um, see, uh, there's this journalist who, who um, is working on a story about Uganda, and I discovered that the DOD and Department of Defense and uh, Bush through PEPFAR, it's an um, AIDS initiative. They're they're giving out these uh, thousands. Um, they see, Uganda is the is the is um, is touted as a success story as being the lowest, is is most stabilized for AIDS. So Bush is is focusing on Uganda, almost like it's an emergency. We've got to get all these anti anti-retroviral treatments to thousands of people. Get them all on them, and it's almost like it's like being conducted like it's an emergency. So I was digging around and. What I found, what this is what's really bizarre, is um, it, it actually increases pregnancy rather than decreases. That's what, that's what the websites say. And you know, me, I'm, I'm naturally suspicious because of the, you know, the DOD because of the past. But I'm wondering, like, if, if they're trying to uh, decrease population, why are they giving out a, a substance that will increase uh, pregnancy? And I was wondering, <laughs> what is going on? Well, number number one, you, you never believe them when they tell you whatever they're giving out is actually what it is. I see. Because we know that when you follow the the United Nations agenda for the smallpox vaccination, you follow its, its route. Uh, AIDS broke out in its wake everywhere it went yeah. under the guise of smallpox. Now, Uganda has been used by the big military establishment from Britain and the U.S., they have laboratories over there, and that's where they created a lot of these different diseases, these exotic diseases, which occasionally break out in Africa. Uganda was one of their main places for, for experimentation. Exactly. And, oh, no, I've got, I've got and I'll be like back with, with more after these messages. Okay. Great topics, brief speech at its best. This is We the People Radio Network.
and MI6 in the 1950s, 60s, 70s and 80s. They created the whole culture industry to create a reality for you and things that you would believe you would never question because it's all around you. It's just repetition. And they have been very successful, very, very successful in that. And we're talking to, to Rick uh, from California who's talking about Uganda. And as I say, whatever they tell you they're actually doing, there's generally another purpose that they're involved in. I can remember when the United Nations again had given out free tetanus shots to millions of African women and women in India. And it turned out within about a month they all came down with massive inflammation of the ovaries which sterilized them. And on the CBC Canada, a little news blurb broke out when Mr. Mansbridge was doing his usual talk. And he didn't prepare us for this little shot. I don't think he knew himself it was coming, or maybe somebody slipped it in. It went straight to two men at a map of the world and uh, a reporter asking them why they had the right or thought they had the right to do what they did. And it transpired out of this strange conversation of, with these two indignant men who worked for the United Nations that they were the ones who had authorized the, the, this basic sterilization process of these women. And they were very indignant at being questioned about it. They said, well, someone has to do it. And you see, we're the last to know what's really going on. We're the last to know, ever know what's really going on. Most folk in the Western world um, have already been given shots uh, that are, have destroyed their immune systems. That's, that's the majority of the population. Everybody has a vastly reduced immune system compared to 1950. And as I say, the sperm count is down. Seven, we're three quarters sterile in a matter of 50 years. Now, nothing happens in evolution to cause that, so what does cause it, you see? I, I wanted to ask another thing, um, Alan. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so you think that maybe this, this anti, because they're, they're giving it out like 2006, 7, and 8, you know, they're doing it now, so you think, you think that maybe something's going to pop up in a few years or even in a few months, maybe they're brewing up a new disease? Kind of like um, the AIDS in the 70s, like a rerun of that again? Because that, that's what I yeah. expect. Yeah, I mean, generally with, with, with uh, anything they test, they release on Africa first, the Ebola and so on. Mm -hmm. It's tested out in Africa. And, uh, and then they can, uh, they can perfect it or, or adjust it in some way for it to be more effective in the future. Uh, it's a big testing ground. Africa always has been used by the big boys of the West. One thing I noticed, too, in my research about Africa is oftentimes when I want to get the dirt on something, like a program or something, or find out more of the, you know, the, the, a balanced view rather than uh -huh. so positive, I come up yeah. against journals that are very, very expensive, that are for the elites only, like Africa Intelligence and The Lancet, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, and they're yeah. all subscription, you know. Yeah. And, um, so I, I wanted to ask you, too, have you, have you heard of Maurice Templesman? Um, it rings a bell, but I'm not too familiar. Yeah. Oh, he's involved with this. He's a um, big diamond. Uh, he worked for Oppenheimer, helped overthrow Lumumba, and, and overthrew a lot of African countries. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so mm -hmm. it's funny that his name is Maurice, because you always talk about Maurice Strong, and they seem to like Maurice. And, yes. So. Well, these characters, sure, they, they all work for the big diamond companies, the gold companies, etc. 
and they've been doing that since the 1800s. These these big companies, mainly based in London, have have started little civil wars all over the world. That's their stock and trade, and then they, they get uh, they get in there with their own mercenary army and restore peace. Supposedly, is to grab the land. Uh, they did the same thing in Sierra Leone. Uh, so there's nothing new about this. That's the real world. The real world is up there, is completely ruthless, but there's no real laws to stop them from doing it. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much, Alan, for your help. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for calling. Yeah, you have a nice day. You too. Okay, bye. And that's what we have in the world. So I remember watching a program on the BBC about uh, wars in Sierra Leone, and one was underway at the time, showed you mercenaries, white mercenaries in there with, with Africans. And then they shot over to London to a big uh, diamond and gold uh, company uh, asking the CEO, uh, because they knew that, that his company was behind this, he admitted it and he didn't have any problem, problems with it. He, his problem was why he was being asked. He thought it was just normal business practice. And uh, he said, well, they're sitting on all that welfare and they're doing nothing with it. That was his justification and rationalization. He thought being asked these questions was rather silly and preposterous. But that's the real world with these psychopaths. And we're kept in such cotton wool nonsense at the bottom with fantasy land and propaganda about cop shows and propaganda with dramas and fiction uh, that we don't know what the real world is anymore. That's part of the, 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 the whole intent of giving you entertainment, and that's what Jax Elal talks about. He said everything to do with police, the system, detective stories, everything that fascinates you through drama and fiction is all propaganda. It's not real. It's not the real world. That's not what they're really there for. It's to give you an image, a different image of what the real world is all about. And, of course, they do it time after time because they get, we get addicted to little stories and we enjoy them, unfortunately. Now, here's another interesting little thing here from the, the BBC News on January the 27th. It says, off-duty troops may be in uniform, British soldiers may be encouraged to wear their uniforms while off-duty in an attempt to boost their popularity with the general public. So here's the military in a PR blitz to make this acceptable to the public. Off-duty soldiers, the possible move is part of an ongoing review into how best to improve the public's perception of the military. You see, it's not... It's not good enough that they give you a truth about what the military is really for. It's, it's the perception, the public's perception must be improved. In other words, directed into what they want you to perceive it as. Labour MP Quinton Davis is conducting the review of public attitudes, which could also propose a warmer community welcome for returning troops. It's to get you all involved. Safety concerns first promoted the move to curb uniforms unless on duty. The policy, which is officially a recommendation, stems from the IRA bombing campaign in the 70s when military personnel were perceived as targets. A spokesman for the Ministry of Defence said currently soldiers follow the advice of the commanding officers on whether or not it's appropriate to wear uniforms while off duty, but most choose not to as a matter of personal safety. In a bid to improve the public's attitude, to improve the public's attitude towards the armed forces, 
Prime Minister Gordon Brown and Armed Forces Minister Bob Ainsworth asked Mr Davies in December to study the issue and report back with recommendations. Mr Davies is not expected to issue his findings for two months, but the Sunday Times reported he will be advocating, urging soldiers to once again wear their uniforms more freely in public. I think they did away with that when they did away with conscription uh, back in the, I think it was the early 60s. Up until then, the British troops had to wear their uniform in public. So now it's being reintroduced as we become more and more militarized. And we've got to believe, you see, that we're all in it together. This war on everything, we're all in it together. That's the old, old battle cry of slogans and propaganda. We're all part of it. We're all in it together. Other possible recommendations include more parades. That's wonderful, eh? To the minister to, uh, to welcome home units returning from active duty in Afghanistan and Iraq. A greater public presence at major events and open days at bases and airfields. It's all fun, fun, fun. Back with more after these messages.
and I'm talking about this, this, this particular little article on the British troops and how they're going to make the people through propaganda and through old techniques of brass bands and parades and so on start to support their troops. It said, returning British soldiers have been met with mixed reactions from a public that does not wholeheartedly support the country's involvement in the Iraq war. The Ministry of Defence spokesman said the review is an attempt to find a way to ensure the armed forces are better appreciated and understood by the general public. The whole process is going to be looked at what the nation as a whole can do to better recognize and acknowledge and celebrate the role of the armed forces, a spokesman said. Spokesman means PR person because the police, the military and everyone else has their own public relations departments where they hire lawyers to strip stuff in such a way that it's, it's kind of public friendly, language which is public friendly. In September of last year, the former head of the army said, more should be done to acknowledge the work done by troops. Now, personally, I have no time for mercenaries. That's just my, my thing. I, I really don't have much time for mercenaries. I know the histories of mercenaries. I know that most young men don't have much sense. They are tribal in nature. And back in the 60s and 70s, the United Nations was talking about creating a super tribe of mixed people. That was a big problem. Can we get blacks, whites, and, and Chinese and everyone else to create a new army of the world without them fighting each other? And they thought it could be done by using the psychology mainly of male, the young male, because young males are the same the world over, regardless of what country they come from. And they said that, again, they admitted that young men are not too bright, they're hormonally driven, they want to belong to the big tribe, the group, and each one wants to be a hero and be appreciated by the other members of the big, big team, the army. So these are the techniques that they're going to use, uh, um, are they actually using on soldiers. And not one soldier would go into the army if they actually could flash forwards and see themselves dying. Uh, that's common sense. But they rely upon the fact that most young males think they're indestructible. Death is a foreign, remote thing to them. They can't, they can't accept it. It might happen to other people out there somewhere, but not to themselves. And that's why they, they don't hire elderly guys to join the military. Elderly guys have more common sense and know that military has always been used for someone else's purpose and agenda. Because on, he say here, General Sir Mike Jackson said the nation should value its servicemen and women. Why? Well, no, why? Uh, really, it's a job, isn't it? It's a job. They're not conscripted into it. They volunteer to go into it. And you have a, a generation that's been bred and raised playing video games where the whole idea was to kill and be dead desensitized to killing where your heroes are Rambo-type characters, steroid men, uh, supermen again who are indestructible and you want to be like them wielding big heavy machine guns and just going rat tat tat across the desert killing all of these little figures just like the video games and that's a very immature uh, person uh, who puts on that uniform unfortunately it says the review came after a spate of stories signaling that the public lacks support for the forces including a woman who complained when disabled veterans were using public swimming pools as part of the rehabilitation and were told to leave. 
Well, that's what countries really think of them. Once you've, you've done your job, you're tossed out. And that's the reality of the military, too. They don't make many movies about that. I think the U.S. did a couple, actually, which weren't too bad. And you saw how the veterans were treated in the so-called veterans' hospitals and given the boot and the worst kind of treatment. It also happened with Britain as well, with one officer of the guards, Scots guards, I think it was, who was so proud of the tradition. His family, his whole family had been in the military for generations. He was shot in the head in the Falklands. And uh, when he came back, after years of rehabilitation by his own relatives, uh, he went to the officer's mess, and simply because he had to get helped in and out, and he looked weak and feeble, uh, they asked him not to come back. They said it was bad for the morale of the younger officers. That's the reality of war. If you're a winner, they'll love you. If you're a loser, tough luck, you're given the boot. That's the harsh reality of life. But what's real in this world? What really is real in this world anymore? With so many big experiments being carried out culturally, economically, and every other way, which the public, I kid you not, are unaware of. They live through it all, but they're unaware that many of the things that happen are great big experiments in psychological warfare and so on. And here's a, something that backs that up, and this is from Mark Bard in ParallelNormal.com. And it's about schools and flash mobs. It says, the dark side of flash mobbing, War of the Worlds, maybe next. And it's about something that happened in a school in Massachusetts. In over their heads, Medford, Massachusetts, school superintendent Royal, Roy Belson left, and his assistant appeared to have no idea what caused a computer to alert thousands of New Englanders that their children were missing. Belson called it a sequencing error in their fast blast phone system. Tech and telecommunications firms gullishly flog automated phone calling systems to the press after every school shooting. This is a new thing that's come in after school shootings where they, uh, they, they flash out these messages to all the cell phones, all the parents and so on when something's happened. And this went off and nothing had happened at all. It says, um, here we see the damage those systems can cause by generating widespread public panic Mums were told by a computer today that their grammar school children had gone missing. 2,100 automated calls wrongly tell Medford parents their children skipped school. Local news updates the Boston Globe. The blast of automated phone calls was accidentally sent at about 11 a.m. to parents of students of all ages. The system, which the school district has used for two years, alerts parents of their children's attendance, emergencies, and other situations. It's an excellent system. This is just a sequencing error, said Roy Belson, the superintendent of schools. We're working on correcting any possibilities of that happening again. The emergency system gone wrong might remind you of another broadcast panic. And Mark's got the picture there of uh, War of the Worlds broadcast that was done many, many years ago when Mr. Mr. Uh, Wells was the one who broadcast the big panic of aliens landing, yeah, aliens landing, and people thought it was real and started trying to evacuate cities. And some people even shot at water towers thinking there were big aliens that were landing. Uh, that, that was done deliberately. And sure enough, they admitted many years later 
It was done by the U.S. PSYOPs department, the government PSYOPs department, in conjunction with Princeton University's psychological department to see the effects on the public. That's the sort of experimentation they do. And who knows if this school computer glitch was just another big test to see how the public reacts. Back with more after these messages. <laughs> 